Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's the Philosopher's Stone podcast, episode two, season two. How exciting is that, Sam? The 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 two two. Yeah, the two two episode. This only ever happens once. This is the last. Everything only ever happens <laughs> once, my friend. Whoa. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to get too high minded so early, but uh, that's the wavelength I'm on right now, dude. <laughs> season two. I'm the philosopher this season. You're oh. the moron. <laughs> oh, shit. That's what everybody's been saying. That's what everybody's been saying. The best. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I was just going to say the best people have been saying that. It's true. The best. The best, best of the best. <laughs> Our best people. Uh, what's going on? What's new with you? I uh, just recently started my new job. I don't know if I talked about that on the last one or not. I can't remember. No, you didn't. Tell us. Tell us about the new job. Well, I did my one-year paralegal program after I found out getting a master's degree in philosophy was not going to kick in the doors of employment. And uh, how dare you? <laughs> how fucking dare you? You don't consider this a job, what we're doing right now? Sure, it doesn't pay <laughs> a single dime. In fact, it costs money, but sometimes a job is something that you must do out of the sense of duty. Okay, you don't always yeah. have to get financial compensation for it, Sam. You fucking shallow piece of shit. Anyways, go on. Um, well, it is useful because it did help me get a higher, uh, higher wage. Because I have the master's degree, but it's a, uh, it's like a co-op placement with the federal government. Oh, you shill! Hey, I, I'm representing you. Oh, never mind. Thanks, man. Yeah, hey, no problem. So a paralegal is just a lawyer that it enters. They enter the courtroom via uh, dropship, right? Correct. Helicopters. Uh. And he's anything with an aerial insertion into the courthouse. <laughs> an aerial insertion. <laughs> God, you don't got to get so sexual about it. <laughs> I mean, I would if I was on the jury and one lawyer just walked into the courtroom, the other one, the ceiling opened up and he <laughs> fell in. I think I know which side I'm going to be on. Yeah, I just know I know me and I know who I respect in this world. We're God's legal agents. We come down from from heaven, from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exciting news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been doing that uh, for about two and a half weeks now. That's that's very fun. And you're liking it. Oh yeah. It's the best. That's good. Yep. Things have been slow in the concrete world, but that's fine. I've been doing a couple <laughs> of little electrical side jobs. Comedy has been getting November is booked for me. I got tons of booked shows that are pay, pay, maybe not enough to support myself, but they pay to make up for the slow, slow hours at the old concrete shop. <laughs> uh, I want to take a moment to acknowledge uh, a passing of a legend in the Okanagan comedy scene. He was a producer of uh the legendary camcom festival he suddenly passed away last night which was a huge loss for us i don't know if did you ever meet drew look drew mclean no i was supposed to uh host a show in kamloops but i double booked myself and forgot about it ah yes i remember that that's a shame he was uh he was a real patron of the uh comedy scene here like really Huge supporter of all the locals, gave us as many spots as he could. He gave me tons of work, and he's always treats everyone. He treated everyone like they were professionals, no matter what. Like I, even not when I was just doing like a five minute open spot one night at the festival, I would still get treated like I was headlining, and it was a, it's a, it's a real loss. It's fucking, it's devastating, honestly. Um, 
yeah, you just never know when you're going to go. And uh, he went too soon. He had a lot. Uh, I mean, he built up that festival. I've, I did it, I think this was my sixth year this past October I did it, and it was the best one yet. And uh, every year it's the one I look forward to the most, so it's going to be an absolute shame he's not around to put that together. Hopefully they can keep keep it going in his name, but like the amount of work he put in to get that thing going every year, I know it was astronomical. So we'll see. It's just a huge loss. So rest in peace, Drew. Um, you know, I started out with a five minute opening spot six years ago on the festival and this past festival, he put me up as a co-headliner and, uh, yeah, fuck man. Damn. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. That is really, yeah, that's really sad. My, my condolences, my condolences. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't just, he didn't just do comedy. He did all the music in Kamloops, all the big music shows, all the big comedy shows. Like, if you went to a show in Kamloops, he probably had his hand in it. Mm. Just a good dude, man. Like, we, like recently we were doing a tour up, we went up north, seven of us, and our, our place we were going to stay on our Kamloops stop uh, fell through because the guy got sick and he thought it might be COVID. So on that day, Drew pulled some strings and paid out of his own pocket to put seven of us up in a hotel room uh, for a show that he wasn't making a dime on. So that's the type of guy he was. Wow. Holy shit. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how he treated all the performers like that. Every time, man, it's, 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 it's nuts. Like I said, any level you were at, you were treated like you were a pro. So wow. we need more people in this world like him. Gone too soon. We're going to be going tomorrow. A bunch of us are going to be going out to Kamloops. He started like a, he helped start an open mic uh, night there. And I guess tomorrow will be like, I don't think the first or the second open mic night there that he started. It sucks that he had to, he can't be there for it, but we're all going to go out there and reminisce about the legend, the man. But uh, yeah, I just had to, I had to acknowledge him because he's, he was a huge part in me, like gaining any sort of confidence as like, a paid comedian and uh, I, a lot of us owe a lot to him, man. Yeah. That festival is huge. Like he got big, big comics to that festival. Yeah, I know it's, it's, it's really, it's tragic. Um, so rest in peace. Rest in peace. Other than that, everything's been going pretty decently for me. I'm in the midst of, uh, what is it? What is the date today? Um, November 9th, the 9th. Day nine without a drop of alcohol in this pristine body of mine. <laughs> so it's the perfect month to do it, to try it. November? November. There's no holiday, like major holidays. Remembrance Day isn't really a day typically you, you go out and party, right? Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but. <laughs> well, you as, a, as, a, as an employee of the government, maybe it comes, uh, it hits home a little harder with you, but. I have a day off. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I have a day off too. I, um, yeah. So November, I feel like is a good day. There's not, I don't know. I don't, I mean, there might be some birthdays I'm not remembering, but for the most part, I think that it's pretty much just a, like a stale month as far as celebrations go. So that's like, it's because Americans have Thanksgiving in November, but in Canada, yeah, we do it in October, which I am not really a fan of. I think November Thanksgiving is better. Yeah. Is that way you get a holiday in October, you get a holiday in November, and then you get a holiday in December, and they're more spread out. Instead of Canada, everything's packed into October and the end of December, and then there's this big pit of just nothing for like two months. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, me and, uh, me and Chelsea are doing it. Uh, we're going to go as long as we can. Well, we're actually going to the 25th is our goal. No alcohol till the 25th. Nice. That's when Chelsea takes her uh, property management exam, which she's been studying furiously for. So we think that she deserves a celebratory drink after. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. And then I headline Dakota's uh, the 27th. I'm doing 45 minutes. It's going to be filmed. Two cameras. And you're getting right back on the booze the two days before you do your big headline? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to be fun up there, you know? I got to be fun. Um, yeah, so that's going to be filmed. Get your tickets now. If anyone's listening to this that wants to go, get your tickets. It's Dakota's Comedy Lounge. Reservations are recommended. Uh, it's going to be filmed. It's not a special. I don't think I want to call it a special. I think it's just going to be, we're just going to dice it up and take the one the bits that kind of would work well on like, you know, YouTube or Instagram and just piecemeal it out a little bit at a time and see what happens. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully it goes well. Oh, you're going to clip it? Yeah, we're just going to cut it up. There's a couple of talented um, uh, videographers, I guess you would say, in our comedy scene. Evan Riley, Teddy Hillary. Uh, The dynamic duo duo power couple. They've been putting out (laughs) some great content that features our comedy scene. So it's nice to have some people that actually know what they're doing with that shit. So they're going to be doing that with me at the end of the month. That should be exciting. And then I got a bunch of other gigs lined up. I'm doing a show for the nurses union, which will be nice. I don't know if they're like their sense of humor has been destroyed by the pandemic or maybe they're (laughs) desperate for a laugh. I don't know. So we'll find out. Yeah. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Nurses. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of material you could do. I've heard some pretty good nurse jokes. Yeah. I don't have any nurse jokes, but I do have fuck this pandemic jokes. By the way, I forgot to mention Drew McLean, the guy who passed away, was a listener of this podcast. So that's... Uh, God damn it. Uh, that sucks. Yeah. That's rough. I know. One of our own bites the dust. We just lost 50% of our audience. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> ah, fucking life, man. Ah, it's tough. Well, I did, and I think I'm going to lead us into today's subject because I went and saw the movie Dune on the weekend, and that's what you want to talk about today, as you've foretold. I have foretold it. It has been foretold. It has been foretold. In prophecies. The legend. The prophecies have come true. And now that we have our cool spacey intro music and our new space spacey uh album artwork for this podcast for season two i think it's a great episode to um uh, be episode two you know yeah hey i fully agree like dune has a lot of space in it so that makes sense it does that's a good connection (laughs) so are you just wanting to discuss the film in general or do you have points you want to touch in touch on oh we're gonna be touching on some stuff for sure Lots of touching on things. All right. <laughs> Fucking fire up the hyperdrive and let's go interstellar, brother. All right. So we're going to, uh, we, we, yeah, spoilers for Dune. There won't be spoilers right away. Oh, yeah. Whip, 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 whip. That's our spoiler alarm. <laughs> spoiler alarm. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like maybe we'll do another spoiler alarm right before we get to some real spoilers. But oh, yeah, be forewarned that there will be spoilers for Dune. So you should probably go see it. 
Yeah, if you haven't seen Dune or uh, at least read the book, I recommend you going and pressing the big old pause button on this, going directly to your nearest theater and uh, taking in the spectacle that is Dune. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we can't really spoil it. Like the like this movie, like you can't really like learning like plot points of this movie is doesn't really matter. Like this movie is like a more of a sensory experience, I would say. So you can't really spoil it. Yeah. It it is uh, like it was one of those. It was a weird thing because I was watching it and I was like, like I went with my fiance Chelsea and her little sister and my little sister, and neither of those three I think had any idea about the story going into it. Whereas I had a little. I'd read like I think most of the first book that you lent me and told me not to lose, and I think I did lose it. No, no, no. I, I have it. I have it. Oh, you got it back? Yep, I got it back. Okay. Because I think he wrote it on the inside sleeve, don't lose this, you idiot, or some shit like that. No, I, I wrote, like, uh, take good fucking care of this or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Very aggressive. Nobody wants to borrow it from me anymore. <laughs> I don't think I finished it, but I uh, I knew I knew what the uh, the story was basically yeah. um, going in. So I wasn't lost, but the people I went with, they, at the end of the movie, they're essentially like, I don't know what the hell that was about, but it was beautiful. Mm. And uh, I think that would be most people's reaction if they can't. Even if you can't follow the story because you're too stoned or something, you're still going to have a good time just because the, I mean, it's it's the, the, the cinematography is uh, is pretty much, I, I don't think I've seen anything like it, uh, honestly. No, this is a, this is a one of a kind movie like that. I've. I've the only maybe movie that you could might be able to compare it to maybe would be like Avatar, but it's it's so much more interesting than Avatar. Avatar was a spectacle as in almost like look at all these colors and look at all this weird shit and look at all these aliens. Whereas Dune is uh, it doesn't have a lot of like it's kind of a muted color palette, so it's it's a different type of like uh, visual experience. Yeah, it, it's a desert as opposed to a jungle. The desert planet opposed to a jungle planet. Yeah, it's almost the antithesis to Avatar in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's true. But a very similar, uh, similar story, actually. Yeah, yeah. But of course, Dune, Dune predates Avatar by decades, so James Cameron's a thief, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I got to go see it again. The theater I was in was not very big. Oh, uh... Once I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, I should have fucking just went to the biggest screen in the city for this. Yeah. I saw it in IMAX. Oh, you did? Yeah. I understand that this is a movie. This this is a movie you definitely want to go to the theater to see because the scale of it, that's what was the most like prominent thing about it that was like very obvious the whole time or the thing that was like, I guess, separated it from most movies I've seen was like the sheer scale of everything going on, which I guess it's hard to describe what I mean, what I mean by that. Just everything was so massive, like the landscapes, the ships, the whole, like it's multi-planetary politic war shit. It's nuts. It's nuts. And every, every building's like a monolithic structure that like, I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm definitely going to go see it again. Yeah, I've seen it twice. <laughs> which I rarely, rarely feel like doing after watching a movie these days. So no. that's just a testimony to what it is. Yeah, I, th- I think with this one, like, like, I feel like I have to see it in theaters multiple times. I've already seen it twice. I'm probably going to see it maybe two more, maybe three more times. I don't know. But 
it's like this is a movie where like watching it at home is just not going to be the same as seeing it in the theater. Like it's just not going to be it's not going to be the same. No. And it was the same with Avatar kind of. Avatar really you got the most out of it with the 3D uh thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. See, I think I kind of like how they didn't bother with the 3D on this one. Yeah. I don't think it needed it. Whereas Avatar, I think, did benefit from it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dune. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so we'll, we will be spoiling plot elements from Dune. So just be forewarned. Yeah. But even when, even if you get this spoiled, you're not going to, you're not going to, it's not going to affect your, I guess, enjoyment of the movie that much. Yeah. No, no way. Like I knew what was going to happen before I went in there. I've read the book. Me too. So, like I knew what was going to happen. And I'm still like going to go back and see it again. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So Dune, uh, so Dune, we're going to look at Dune through a philosophical lens. And that philosophical lens. Of course, that's the point <laughs> of the podcast, Sam. Yes. And uh, Dune is a sort of like a perfect example of um, kind of like uh, this philosophy known as maybe it's not really a philosophy. I'm not sure what this is, but it's a, a movement, maybe um, a theory. I don't know what you'd call it, but it's this idea known as post Humanism or transhumanism. Transhumanism. Yeah, not to be confused with transgender. I think that word has been hijacked. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I think posthuman is better at this point. But uh, so yeah, it's 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 this idea of posthumanism because Dune is set in our Milky Way galaxy in a, about ten thousand years from now, I think, maybe twenty thousand years from now. So everyone in the movie is a human. There are no aliens in Dune. They're all just they're all humans. Yeah, that's one thing. He- Although some are very uh, they're grotesque versions of humans, but they're still human. Exactly. There are all these people in Dune who are humans, but they're like beyond human in, in certain ways. And this is, a, this is a philosophical concept of post-humanism. And Dune exemplifies it really well. So what is post-humanism? Well, I've got a couple different uh, definitions we can work with. The first one is from an English evolutionary biologist named Julian Huxley. And he is the brother of Aldous Huxley. You know Aldous Huxley? I was going to say that Huxley sounds familiar to me. Right. So he's the brother of Aldous Huxley. And he wrote a, a, a book called New Bottles for New Wine, which is a very ominous title after I read this quote. Okay. Uh, but here's his quote The human species, uh, the spoiler alert, we are the bottle and we're going to get new wine in us or something. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the human species can, if it wishes, transcend itself, not just sporadically, an individual here in one way, an individual there in another way, but in its entirety as humanity. We need a new name. We need a name for this new belief. Perhaps transhumanism will serve. Man remaining man, but transcending himself by realizing new possibilities of and for his human nature. If we can just get it together, if we can just get it together, this could be a possibility, right? Exactly. Um, Nick Bostrom, he's a contemporary philosopher. He's most famous for writing books about superintelligence and like how it could go wrong. Yeah. And he, he defines it like this. Just as we use rational means to improve the human condition and the external world, we can also use such means to improve ourselves, the human organism. In doing so, 
we are not limited to traditional humanistic methods such as education and cultural development. We can also use technological means that will eventually enable us to move beyond what some would think of as human. Dun, dun, dun. Um, it's one of those things that I found interesting about Dune was it was, it, it was clearly a future of humanity that was not, um, not what you would typically see in a movie about the future of humanity, a la like Blade Runner or, uh, or Star Wars, right? Where like technology and robotics and screens. There was almost no, there were no screens in Dune that I can remember. Ah, interesting. Um, yeah, he watched, Paul watches a holographic movie at one point. Yeah. But yeah, there's no, there's no screens. Interesting. But even that holographic movie wasn't like, you know, 4K HD shit. It no. was it, it was almost like uh, they've they've gone so far beyond that screens are no longer needed for like their type of life. I guess is one way of saying it. Although I know in the lore or the the story, like the books, humanity had like a war with AI, and thus they didn't uh, develop the computing technology any further or something like that okay yeah so this is this is like a good starting point actually um because one of the uh one of the ideas of post-humanism is the human being makes itself into like a super intellect or something like that uh, which wouldn't need a, a computer right but yeah so in in dune um in dune right because dune takes place in in our human timeline and in the dune prediction of our timeline we develop ai but AI does not solve our problems. Instead, it ins- tries to enslave us. And so humanity sort of fights back against AI in this war that's called the Butlerian Jihad in the books. And the outcome of the Butlerian Jihad is a commandment, thou shalt not make a machine in the likeness of a human mind. And so the outcome of this is that all, quote unquote, thinking machines, even calculators, like even a simple calculator, are outlawed on penalty of death. And so that explains why so much of their tech, some of their technology in Dune is incredible, like they can control gravity. Yeah. But on the other hand, their comm systems, their communication systems are terrible. Like they're like talking to each other on these, on the, the ornithopters and they're using like these outdated looking radios like that just don't work very well. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it is weird. Like it, it's like, it's almost like as if an alien race left them a bunch of uh, structures with advanced technology, but didn't give them any like personal technology, really. Yeah. So, so yeah. So like they have all they have like they have they have leftover technology from when AI was around, right? So like for example, their ships can travel faster than light. Yeah. That technology was developed with the help of like these humans who sort of made their brains into supercomputers. Um, the shields that they turn on, those were made by humans augmented with AI. But those people, they, you know, they killed all those sort of post-human computers. Yeah. But they still have, they still have the ships. Mm -hmm. But the problem is without the post-human computers, nobody can pilot these things because of the, the calculations that go into like traveling faster than light are just ridiculous. Right. So that is like a big problem in the in the dune universe so that 
isn't because I think that I remember them saying that the spice on Dune is what they need to find paths through like interstellar space travel without like ending up in the middle of a star or something, right? Correct. Yeah. So there's this organization called the Spacing Guild. So, so like it's a guild, right? So already feudalism, right? Dune is a, it's a feudal system in Dune. Yeah. And uh, the Spacing Guild monopolizes uh, space travel. And the way their pilots, their navigators are able to, you know, pilot these immense spaceships is by taking huge quantities of spice to the point where, so you see, you see guild navigators at the beginning of the movie, actually. They're the people. They come to the, uh, to, uh, Duke, what's his name? Duke Leto? Duke Leto Atreides, yeah. Duke Leto, they're the guys that are like, okay, you're allowed to go to Dune now and start harvesting spice. Yeah, so the navigators are the people in that group who have those, like, it looks like they have, like, glass tanks on their heads filled with, like, an orange smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that orange gas is, like, they they have to breathe, like, a gaseous mixture of air and spice or they die because they're they're so addicted to it. Ah, uh, yeah. That's what's interesting about this spice stuff is it, it it seems to have so many like attributes to it. Yes. That like I don't I don't even think that the viewer even under like that's one thing that I don't think you would get as a viewer of the Dune movie without having any previous knowledge of the books is what the spice actually is and what it does. Because you, they just tell you you need it for space travel and it extends human life. But there's another side of it that's almost like a psychedelic thing about it. Yeah, if you're sensitive to it, it can let you see the future in a sense. But uh, so that's interesting. This, so we can talk more about the spice. The spice is basically it's like a drug that will turn you into a post-human in more ways than one. So it turns you into a post-human in the sense that it allows you to see the future and expand your mind to the point that you can, you know, pilot one of these spaceships. Yeah. It's all, it's also makes you a post human because it, like it says in the movie, it extends your life for a very long time. So it has like, a, that's like a post human thing, right? One of our human constraints is our own mortality. We can't live forever. A post human can control their own mortality and live forever. And the spice sort of lets you do that. Spice. Spice. Melange. But there are consequences to the spice, uh, one of which is physical addiction. If you take as much of it as the Fremen do or as the, the navigators do, it, your body becomes dependent on it. And if you don't have it, you die. And the Fremen are the local uh, inhabitants of Dune. Correct. So they've been huffing this shit for millennia. Correct. That's why, yeah, that's why their eyes are all blue. There are more severe consequences to the spice. And uh, part of the reason no one has ever seen a guild navigator's face. So I don't want to spoil it too much, but uh, let's just say the spice has some interesting effects on the human body. Okay. That'll be, that'll be revealed in probably Dune Part 2 and, and then Dune Messiah when that one comes out. But yeah, so, and the spice is made by the worms. It is kind of strange to see a movie set that far in the future and not see any of the classic depictions of futuristic technologies uh, almost anywhere besides giant spaceships that hardly resemble the spaceships you would see in Star Wars, for example. No, they're so interesting. Yeah. And I'm not, again, I'm just hinting at it. I'm not spoiling it. I'm hinting at it. 
the spaceships kind of look like the sandworms, don't they? Well, I will say that the 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 thing that's like hovering above the planets that all the all the other spaceships seem to come out of is that a ship or is that like a gate? That's a ship. That's the ship. That's a ship. Okay. So those things are fucking huge and then all you can see is like and the, so those are the ones that are actually bringing like yeah. the, the fleets of the of the royal houses to the other planets. Those are yeah, those are the space guild highliners. So it is kind of fair. If you wanted to sum up the Dune, the first, I mean, I guess the vibe of Dune to someone in one sentence, it could be described as like an intergalactic Game of Thrones type world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. George R. R. Martin's very influenced by Dune. Even the plot of Game of Thrones is taken from Dune. Right. Right. Like Game of Thrones starts with, you know, Ned Stark being given this apparent gift of becoming a powerful figure in the capital and he has to like move his family to the capital. And then it turns out it's a trap. Yeah. Spoilers alert for Dune, but that's pretty much exactly the same plot device that starts Dune. So George R. R. Martin definitely borrowed that whole plot device. Yeah. And then like the houses and everything like very, very borrowed from Dune. Yeah. And like the family lines are very important in Dune as well. Mm -hmm. And like the head, like they even call it houses, right? It's like House Harkonnen and House, uh, what is it, Atreides? Yeah. And they have their sigils and their customs and their armor looks different from one to the other. And it's like, yeah, there is very much a Game of Thrones vibe going on out there on a huge scale, though. Like that's the thing that, it's really hard to talk about the scale of this of the world of Dune without watching the movie, I guess, or reading the book, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that was the one thing that I kept on thinking. I was like, man, everything is so big, <laughs> like everything. Yeah. I mean, they, they do. They can manipulate gravity. Yeah. So it's, it, they can make things as big as they want, really. So th- that's another, uh, actually, post-human idea. So the Baron Harkonnen, right? So he's... Uh, He's definitely a post-human. Yeah. Because he's become so large from, I guess, eating. But I think he's also very strong. Like, it looks like he's probably been, like, taking some sorts of steroids or something. He lifts that one guy up by his neck at one point, I think I remember. Yeah, with one hand, like a forward raise. Yeah. And now, here's a spoiler alert. alert. Whoop, 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 whoop. Is that what I did last time? Whoop, 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 whoop. Is that the spoiler alert alarm? I think it's different this time. It might vary, but um, he is floaty. He floats around, and I don't think that's his, like, it's not a a superpower. I think he's using some sort of, like, platform that he floats on, right? It's the, yeah, it might be a platform. Um, I think it's the device that, so, like, you know, like, sometimes you see his back, and he has, like, that metal thing, and then it turns on, and it sounds like his spine is, like, cracking. Yeah. That's like an anti-gravity device that he wears that lets him float around because he's too heavy to support his own weight, basically. Right. It makes him very, very sinister. Yeah. A sinister presence because he can, he like floats up and he has these real long, like dark robes that like still hang down to the ground. So it makes him look like this huge huge figure which he is but even bigger than he actually is and it's creepy i like every time he floated at in the movie it like sent shivers down my back yeah would you say he looks kind of like a sandworm when he does that uh (laughs) i I mean i guess so 
I'm I'm heavily I'm heavily hinting at at, at something. <laughs> you are. Oh yeah. <laughs> the sandworms are a huge part of the mo- of the story. I'm guessing. Oh, much much bigger much bigger than this first part. Let's on. Yeah, they're a big deal. Okay, because there is a moment in the movie where the main character Paul encounters a one of these massive sandworms. I don't even know how, how to describe how big they are. Like, let's take the Ogopogo <laughs> and we'll double it, okay? 400 meters. We're going to take the Ogopogo, which is the monster of the Okanagan Lake <laughs> here in Kelowna, and we're going to double that size. And that's a sandworm. That's pretty much bang on. But there is a moment where he is he runs away from the sandworm. He gets off the sand. The worm like comes out and you see it's like maw. And it almost seems like it's communicating with him, like telepathically. Mm, interesting. Um, with Paul, right? Mm-hmm. It seemed like that to me. Like there's some sort of communication that was nonverbal happening between the two, like an acknowledgement. Possible. Now, I'm thinking because I thought that the worms, the sandworms, were they? Because I think they say in the movie they eat the spice that's on top of the sand. Mm, no. They do not eat the spice, as far as I know. I think they produce the spice. Yes, the spice is a byproduct of their life cycle. So you can't, you can't kill them. Okay, because that, I think I went home, because I, I was like, I, I always do that after I see a movie that has like a lot of lore behind it. When I get stoked <laughs> on it, I go on YouTube and I just fucking, I read, I get someone else to tell me about it. <laughs> and like, so like me and Chelsea, we got home and we're like, let's learn more about the world of Dune. And it was like, if you blinked for a second, you missed like a huge part of it. And then we kind of realized that these stories are like span like thousands of years. Oh, yeah. And there's no one plot point that's going to be like something you absolutely, I don't know. It's, it's just like the scale is not only size, but it's time, it sounds like, too, from what I'm getting. Yeah, there's six books in the series and it spans about 4,000 years, I think. Yeah. So I think in one of those videos, it said that the worms, the sandworms are what produced the spice. Correct. But other than that, I don't know much about them. It is kind of wild that they can be fooled by a certain type of walk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're not intelligent, right? Like they're not intelligent creatures. Okay. They are epic creatures, but they're not intelligent in our sense. But it it is, uh, it is, I think it is interesting that I think. This is my theory. I think the Baron idolizes the worms in a sense because they're so powerful. Yeah. And they generate all of his wealth, right? Like all of the, the Harkonnen wealth comes from spice and without the worms, there's no spice. Yeah. So when he does his robe thing, like I feel like he wants to be like a worm himself. Well, he has worm like he's a worm in the sense that he fucking is a betrayer or a, a backstabber. Hey, he, he said he would let her go. He said he would set her free. He's a man of his word. <laughs> I know. What a loophole that was, hey? Yeah, that's the Baron. Always finding loopholes. That touches on another aspect of the movie, or another, I guess, faction, or a clan, or whatever you want to call them, are these like dark witch-type, uh, mistress-type people that are like pulling the strings in the background mm-hmm. that the main character's mom is a part of. They are also definitely post-humans, the Bene Gesserit. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they can like... They can make people do shit by using this special voice that they can do. Right, which is not magic. It's not magic. Seems like magic in the movie. Well, as Arthur C. Clarke once said, any sufficiently advanced technology will appear as magic. 
How dare you incite the name of Arthur C. <laughs> Clark in front of me, dude? You fucking know I hate that. <laughs> I don't know who that is. But I wonder, okay, so the scene, and this was the scene that really like stuck with me when I read the book was the, uh, the box, the hand in the box scene right. to test Paul's will. The gom jabar. Where he puts his hand in this box and it's just pain in there. I wonder what kind of pain it was. Was it biting pain, stinging pain? Um, it's it's a in the book he uh, feels like his hand is being all the flesh is burned off his hand until there's just bone. Ah, I see. So he feels like his hand is set on fire, basically. But so basically, that that test is actually that's a perfect thing to bring up because that test is all about: Are you a, a human or an animal? Right. It. It kind of proves that you've become one of these post-human types because you have the ability to override the the pain, the instinct to pull your hand out of the box. Yeah. Even though every part of your instinct is telling you to pull it out. Yeah. Well, like I think the idea is like here's a way you could think of it, right? So a post-human is a human who has powers like exponentially greater than what a human would have. Right. But they're they're worthy they're they're worthy of those powers because of their humanity, right? But if you were to give those same powers to an animal, that could be a disaster. Imagine, right? And that's sort of like the Harkonnens. So that this is how they sift this is how they sift through people worthy or not worthy to join their secret club or whatever. They're, they're like the Illuminati of the Dune world. It feels like, but it's all women. Yeah, so here's the deal with the, the Bene Gesserit, right? So they have this plan. This, they have a, you know, Dune is a big scale, right? They have this multi-millennia, multi-thousands of years plan where they are going to cross bloodlines and do their like incredible training. They're basically like monks, like they can totally control the physiology of their own bodies. So like, like Lady Jessica, if she wanted to, she could choose what gender her babies were going to be. They have like crazy control. Ah, oh, that's why they were like, oh, we told you to have a girl and you went ahead and had a boy, you fuck. Right, and why did she have a boy? You fucking idiot. She had a boy because the Bene Gesserit, right? They are trying to, as they say in the movie, they're trying to produce a mind that can take humanity out of its current state where it's this sort of feudal state where many people are oppressed, take them beyond that state into a new golden age for humanity. Yeah. So basically they're trying to produce a like a human super super intelligence and the prophecies or whatever say that that's going to be a male right because up until now only women have been part of the bene Gesserit. only women can develop the the power like the voice for example right that's why they didn't kill him at birth right because they knew that he did have some abilities right away uh, i'm not sure i think i think jessica tried to keep it a secret for a while until it was sort of like too late uh but yeah, so their goal is to produce this like super intelligent mind, which they call the Kwisatz Haderach. Wow, look at you. You got the pronunciation down and everything. Let's hear some Klingon <laughs> next, dude. And uh, the, uh, so the Kwisatz Haderach is like a, like a human super, super being that will save humanity and usher in a new golden age. So like the ultimate post-human. So what made, Jess- what made Lady Jessica think that she was going to have that baby? That's a good question. Yeah, so in the movie, she's accused of pride. Yeah. And Paul, Paul doesn't seem to like it either. He says, like, you're the one who made me a freak. Yeah. He does not accept that he would rather just be a human rather than this 
what he feels like is this sort of freakish post-human. Right. And it goes, it goes beyond that too, because it's not just like he is a freak, but the Bene Gesserit in their, you know, sinister conspiratorial ways have gone so far as to like create a fake religion on Dune so that when Paul or like another Bene Gesserit shows up there, they can just use these sort of codes that have been implanted in the local culture and be like received as messiahs. Right. So the the locals, the Fremen, they all know these like little prophecies about who this person's supposed to be. Who who their savior will be, yeah. Yeah. But that's all just lies. And that was just that was put that was instilled in them by these witch type Illuminati bitches. Exactly. Yeah. It's all just lies to help protect the Bene Gesserit when they when they need help. Ah. Uh, yeah. And much like a lot of main characters, he does not want this cup to bear. He does not want this responsibility at the beginning. He doesn't even want to be the leader of his house at the beginning of the movie when he's talking to his dad about what happens when the dad dies. Right. Does he have to be the leader of the house? And his dad's like, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, he, 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 he definitely doesn't, uh, doesn't want to become that ultra sort of post human. A lot of responsibility. Yeah, a lot of responsibility. If someone was like, hey man, you're the future of the universe, I'd be like, I live in a basement suite, <laughs> so I don't know how that's going to work out. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, yeah, so the Bene Gesserit, they're in like another example of post-humans. I think the voice is not magic. It's like a, uh, they can sort of control, you know how like there, we, there's these new kind of weapons that are like acoustic weapons, like sound devices, and they can... Like, for example, make you nauseous or like make you like pass out or something like that. Yeah. Imagine if you could manipulate your own voice like a sort of ultrasonic weapon to the extent that you could control. It's almost like it. It's almost like an instantaneous hypnosis that you can put on anyone at any moment. Yeah. It's basically like hacking somebody's brain with with your sound waves. Yeah. So I think that's sort of what the voice is. So speaking of hacking someone's brain, I had a question about the guys. It seems like each house has like this kind of, uh, I guess, I don't know, like the right-hand man of the leader of the house who like they can think of like calculations really fast and their eyes go, they like their eyes like roll in the back of their head when they're doing calculations and then they're, they're like almost like like the alternative to a calculator or a computer. Yeah, pretty much. That's uh, that's another of these sort of post-human orders that came up after the Butlerian Jihad outlawed AI. Fuck. That might have been the creepiest moment of the whole movie was when that guy's eyes rolled back in his head and he like did that calculation. I was like, what the fuck was that? And they don't even acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the Mentat order. That's what they're called, the Mentat order. Uh. And they are, uh, yeah, they're sort of like human computers supremely logical they can calculate probabilities so they're very useful as um they're very useful as like a, a spy master for example because they are like so logical you can't like charm them or anything they just see the probabilities of everything right very very useful very loyal again it's a very feudal system right so they're in order but like if you if they're assigned to your house you know they will be loyal to that house and they don't really they don't really have an ethics or morality right they just do what their their house is. Well, I don't know. They might have like some ethics or morality. I'm not sure. Here's my question. What was the point of the emperor 
pulling the Harkonnens off of Dune, bringing the Atreides family there, and then turning around and reinvading them. Why couldn't they just take the Harkonnens and then invade them on the Atreides home planet? Okay, well, two, two reasons. First of all, it would be much harder to defeat the Atreides on their own home planet because they have all of their, their stuff there. It's home, home field advantage. True that. True that. See, that's <laughs> why I'm not a general right now. Second reason is Dune is very much like there's all these thoughts, there's all this politics going on, and it's a feudal system, right? So in a feudal system, there is a central power, but then there are all of these other powers sort of on the, on the outside, the noble houses. Same thing in Game of Thrones, right? You've got the king, and then you've got all the noble houses. Yeah. The king's power or the emperor's power depends to some extent on preventing the other houses from uniting against him. So the emperor's fear in Dune is that Leto Atreides is so like, beloved by the other great houses that he might become a, a threat to the throne. He might be able to unite the houses and take the throne. Right. So what the emperor does is he makes this secret deal with Baron Harkonnen, like, listen, I'm going to pretend to kick you off Dune, and then I'm going to give it to Atreides. So all the other houses are going to see this, and they're going to think, oh my god, like the Harkonnens are definitely going to want Dune back, so they're going to go to war against the Atreides. Uh, I see. But what nobody knows is that the Emperor also gives the Harkonnens his Sardaukar army to help them defeat the Atreides. Right, so it doesn't look like the Emperor is helping them. Exactly. It looks like this is just a private war between the Harkonnens and the Atreides, but in reality, the Emperor is, is sort of secretly helping them. Right. That dirty Emperor. We don't see the Emperor in that first movie, though, hey? No, but you will see him in the next movie. The Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV. Well, I'm fucking stoked for that next movie. Now, on my second viewing, would I appreciate it more with a little bit of mushrooms in my system? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I think that's a yes, Sam. I think that's a yes. <laughs> it would be, I think, I think I would be very remiss if I didn't do that at least once. Yeah, maybe mushrooms, maybe a little weed. Um, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. I can't remember the last time I went to a movie not <laughs> stoned, at least. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it was crazy. The, the first time I saw this movie, someone in the audience, it, like halfway through the movie, right before the worm makes like the first worm attack. So they had to, they stopped the movie. Yeah. And so the manager comes in and she's like, sorry, everybody, EMT is, is on the way. Like a lady like threw up and had to be carried out of the movie. What? Because I think I think the I don't know if she was like drunk and the the sound like made her nauseous, but she either like th- threw up and had to be like walked out of the movie. Like she was she was shaken up, shaken up. She was overdosing on that spice, baby. <laughs> wow. Maybe yeah. Uh, well, that kind of sucks. Was that your first viewing or what? That was my first viewing. Yeah. Ugh, man. There, you know, there was some nerd in there absolutely shitting his pants over that. Hey. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> not my Dune. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to go in there blasted on mushrooms to the point where I don't I, like I'm scared. But yeah, I feel like you might have a bad trip. <laughs> no, no, no. I'd make some tea. I'd be cool about it. Try the shroom chocolate. I, uh, I remember I once made myself mushroom tea and I watched the movie Jarhead and I thought it was the most fantastic movie on the planet. Oh my God. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. 
Just want a nice little buzz. You want them peeking in. You don't want to be overtaken by them. Otherwise, I'd be out of the theater roaming the streets, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I almost had like a, I almost like, I've, I definitely felt something going on when uh, there's that scene on the Sardaukar planet and there's like that guy in the tower like talking and his voice was like a didgeridoo and he's just like, rah, 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 rah. I could, I felt like I was going to like fall apart. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know why all those naked, like those naked bodies were hung upside down on that planet while the, the those Sardaukar guys were like getting amped up to go to war? What was that? Did they need like the blood of those people for some reason? It looked like they were all like strung up and draining into like some sort of channel. Yeah. Yeah. So in that scene, there are like these, these priests going around with the blood from those victims and like they're dabbing it on the foreheads of the Sardaukar as like a, a pre-battle ritual. Oh, yeah. And they all have it on their chests, too. Right. Yeah. <sighs> Fucking savages. There's a lot of um, religious stuff in, in Dune, um, which, again, is different from a lot of sci-fi. And Frank Herbert specifically put a ton of Islam into Dune. Oh. So that's where, like, all of this is, like, you don't get it in the movie, I guess, a little bit, because, I don't know, they, they, they played that element down a bit. But um, in the books, it's very clear that he was, like, I think his point was that like Western civilization owes a big debt to Islam that isn't really acknowledged or to like the Arab world that isn't acknowledged. For example, like algebra, astronomy, like lots of stuff. Yeah. Like calculus and everything. They made all that shit, right? Calculus. Yeah. Well, no, 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 not not calculus. Algebra. 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 That's the one. Yeah. But you don't get calculus without algebra. Yeah. Because that's kind of the impact of all these like monolithic structures and these huge vast buildings and like the design of uh, like even the spaceships seemed like idols Mm. almost you know all the buildings had like a cathedral-esque vibe about them and all the all the ships seemed like these massive like something that should be revered as if you would as if you would like worship it or something Mm -hmm. it was very it's very it was very dreamlike the whole movie like as if you were in a dream, like this was some, like there were ancient cosmic gods that put all this shit there. Yeah, exactly. Which comes back to the sense of scale that, that really was like, that was like blew my mind. It was just like how vast everything seemed. Yeah. Like you kind of got that vibe in some, like some of the halo games with like the, uh, you know, um, I forget the names of them all, but you know, like the covenant have like all these, like they're super religious. Right. And they have all these huge structures that are like meant to they worship the halos. And you know what I'm saying? Like H- halo had some of those, those elements, those like massive, massive structures that were either like weapons or, or yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like those great halls of like, just seems like seemingly empty halls that you would have to like walk through and shit. And the flood would come get you and you'd throw a sticky grenade on a guy and he'd blow up and you'd be like, what up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess, um, yeah, this is, this is a good point to mention that it's interesting that a lot of the people who advocate for post-humanism think that it will solve humanity's problems in a sense. And Dune is clearly... A great example of how that is absolutely not true. Like, here's a, a future where posthumanism has definitely been achieved beyond the wildest dreams of people around today. And yet, what kind of universe is it? It's a feudal universe where people are oppressed and nobody really has any rights. And it's just generally pretty shitty. Yeah. 
It's like you would think that once a human took over planet Earth, they'd be satisfied, but then be like, well, I want that planet too. <laughs> exactly. They're the Baron Harkonnen. They can't stop eating. Yeah. Insatiable. <laughs> yeah. So it is, it's a great example of how technology, even if it isn't AI, technology is never going to solve our problems. And by extension, you can sort of guess that the Bene Gesserit plan to create the Kwisatz Haderach is probably not going to go according to their plan either. And this might not have a happy ending. <laughs> well, Paul seemed pretty horrified when he saw the vision of him, his war that he's going to be the head of. Remember that scene? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Put it, yeah, put it after the spoiler. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go in. Like, there's a scene where he's like really huffed up on the spice, right? And so he's seeing all these future visions of what's going to happen. And he sees that he's going to be the leader of this massive war for the galaxy, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he's horrified by it. Yeah, exactly. The best laid plans of mice and men, as they say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so Dune. Very good example of uh, technology, even human-focused technology to make human beings better is not, is not going to save us. That's why we need Jesus, baby. <laughs> he is the way. He is the truth. Yeah. He is a post-human. Um, Jesus would be considered a post-human, right? Well, I don't know yet because right, he's fully God and fully man. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, post-human. Well, I'm just saying the guy's fucking walking on water. So there you go. Yeah, he'd be a post-human for sure. Maybe he's doing the water walk on there. It's just a pattern that you have to get right. And that's how you walk on water. Well, okay, I'll say this. The third book in the Dune series is called The God Emperor of Dune. So just leave it like that. Yeah, well, I can kind of guess. I actually kind of know what happens in the future because I watched a YouTube video that spoiled everything, but I don't care. Oh, so do you understand why I keep saying things look like worms? No, I don't. I don't know what that part is. Okay, then you do, then you do not. You don't. You don't know who the God Emperor of Dune is. I don't know <laughs> shit. Okay. <laughs> I think, man. I, I'm not gonna lie. I was really stoned when I was watching this YouTube hole of the Dune lore. But uh, oh, um, if you like Dune videos, uh, there's a channel called Quinn's Ideas that's really good for Dune. Maybe I should just read the fucking books. You know? Oh yeah, audiobooks even. Maybe I should fire up an audiobook and just listen to that at work. Do you have Audible? Sponsored. I don't have Audible. Sponsored. Oh, it's, it's worth it. Well, maybe if they sponsored this podcast, I'd put the money into it, you know? If they paid me to listen to it. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's the episode. That's episode two, season two. Brap, brap. Um, emails. We don't have any. But you can email us at tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of our new intro music. <laughs> And our new cover art, which is pretty dope in my opinion. It is. We should make some merch. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go see Dune again for sure. Yes. Um, and you all should too. Okay. When's mm-hmm. part two supposed to come out? Like four or five years? Is it going to do the <laughs> Avatar thing where it's like 30 years later we get the part two? Too long. Too long. It, can't, uh, it, it should come out tomorrow. Like, uh, I haven't been this like, obsessed with a sequel since Fellowship of the Ring, I think. I, I can't wait. Man, they, the, the gap between Avatar 1 and Avatar 2 is like, <laughs> you're going to have 16-year-olds that haven't seen the first one when the second one comes out because they weren't alive. I'm not even convinced Avatar 2 is ever going to happen. 
You don't think so? I thought they were done. Is it? I don't even know if it's in production. I thought it was a rap. Mm. Yeah. A, ra- a rap? I thought it was a rap. Really? I don't know. Avatar 2 Wikipedia. Um, is it actually preliminary shooting for the film started? There's been three years of shooting. Okay, filming concluded in late September 2020 after three years of shooting. Jesus Christ. Boom. It's a rap. What? Do you think it's going to be an absolute hack job, though? Because like, Three just years keep... of shooting for one movie is insane. Well, better be good. That's how long it took to make all three Lord of the Rings movies. Peter Jackson's doing some... That's some, that's some rookie numbers, Jackson. I don't know. I, I kind of... I have my doubts. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, that's it. That's our podcast. We will see you. Hopefully we can get on a better release schedule. We're working around it. We're trying to do it. And uh, yeah, see you next week. See you later.